This week on FX Guide TV. We talk to Murata about their futuristic parkour playground. This and more coming up next. Hello and welcome to FX Guide TV. I'm Angie Dale. Murata recently created a futuristic parkour playground as a backdrop for a world-class freerunner in a Wrigley's Five gum spot via ad agency BBDO Energy and for production company Motion Theory. Now, Motion Theory is the sister company to Murata, but as you'll hear, Murata is more than just the post arm of Motion Theory. Although, to tell you the truth, that alone would be a pretty good place to be when you consider the amazing work done at Motion Theory. This spot was directed by Iron Man director John Favreau. New 5 RPM gum. Choose your energy. I saw this spot and when I first saw it, I thought, okay, they've either done the guy on a CG or on wires. Like it was obviously like, for my benefit, seemed really amazing leaps that I just figured, you know, obviously no one could do. But I'm pretty much wrong, aren't I? You're very wrong, yes. Uh, it was um, actually a uh, parkour athlete, Daniel Alabeca, and uh, it was actually all live action uh, and no wires involved at all. I mean, it's, it looks like he's jumping big distances, and he is jumping big distances. I mean, is this something that you had to build up to? I mean, in stunt work even, I would be... There's even no room for error in the, in the you, work. You know, uh, it's funny, you know, uh, John Favreau directed uh, the spot, and part of the, the process was, you know, finding the most amazing, uh, you know, free runner or parkour uh, athlete that we could find. And... You know, after screening many guys, we come across Daniel, who is really like at the top of his field as far as like as in, in this athletic pursuit. And um, when we when we reviewed his work, he is just this amazingly freakish guy that can that does this sort of urban industrial um, uh, um, sport, which involves leaping across great distances and putting his you know body and his sometimes his life at risk. So all the stunts you see, he is jumping great distances. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, in our in our situ situation, it was a jumping between digital set pieces. Yeah. But um, you know, he that was all actual, no wire assist. You know, obviously, safety precautions taken with mats and, and netting below for if there was a fall. But he never fell. So how did you work out what he could do? Because I mean, you couldn't just say, oh well, somebody could obviously get across here. Like you yeah. must have somehow had to kind of determine what he felt comfortable with and then... Correct. Um, actually, it was a really very interesting process and sort of that's where I think that, you know, Murata as a, as a company is sort of is at the forefront of what we do. You know, we're lucky that we have, you know, uh, art directors, you know, creative directors, supervisors in-house that co-collaborate on something. Uh, the process that we went through working with John Favreau and the agency was, you know, there was a lot of research done up front. You know, we created a mood piece using Daniel Alabeca to, you know, a 60 second, which then cut down a 30 second piece of what he is actually possible, you know, it's possible for him to do. 
And then what we started to do is map out a previous and of what we think is plausible distances, you know, and what we're actually seeing and rough something out in previous. Uh, and that's where sort of, you know, as well with John Favreau. And then when Daniel arrived from London, we started working with Daniel. We showed him the previous, he thought it was, things were cool and what he can and can't do as far as stunts that we know he can perform. Uh, then we went off to a training centre and we actually started mapping things out with him. He blocked out in, in SketchUp actually, like what he, what he think is like his ideal course based on what we've done. We then adjusted our previews and he started mapping distances and jump distances and lands and stunts that he could actually execute. And then we started working that into the previous. And I guess those things that he's jumping on, I mean, there's a, an early shot where he kind of jumps right, left, right, kind of, and he's bouncing off these kind of yeah. walls. I mean, the, just the engineering of that, you'd have to make them really sturdy because even a small amount of give could maybe throw him off his game. The safety was paramount, you know, on what he's doing. Yeah, and he's putting a lot of uh, force and effort in what, what he's doing. You know, the, 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 uh, the green screen and blue screen boxes definitely had to be like reinforced. They were, they were, they were bolted to the ground and, and that was part of the previous process is working out and mapping out exactly what that course would be. It was very, very precise. Uh, we shot at uh, stage 12 at Universal, which is one of the biggest stages and some of the actual uh, set pieces were up, up to 35 feet off the ground. Did you have any, I mean, were these built to be adjusted? Like for example, if he jumped and sort of said, okay, that's feeling a bit too whatever, could you adjust anything on the day or did it was all locked down? Yeah, I mean, most of it, there was a little bit of trimming on the day. You know, we did, of course did a pre-light day and you sure. know, he, he ran through the course. Uh, we also were at a, a parkour uh, um, uh, park in, in LA that we actually, you know, where we practiced. He had a, we had a fairly rough idea, knowing, he knows his limitations as an athlete and that really helped. But not to say that, you know, there were things that John wanted to trim up to on set, you know, and also Daniel working as a team, that he wanted to say, you know, I want to make this slightly more challenging, this is too easy. And some things that were just a little bit, you know, off kilter as far as direction goes. And those boxes, you know, obviously, you know, moved and, and tweaked on the day. So what was your sort of choices and thinking in terms of green screen and blue screen? Like what was that? How did you pick on what you were going to do? What were you shooting on? What was sort of technical aspects of yeah, the shoot? Technical aspects, you know, obviously we shot uh, at, by 35 mil and also we, we shot Alexa. Right. And that was just uh, Daniel, um, uh, Daniel Libertique, the DP's choice along with John. You know, we don't want to really encroach on that. Obviously, you know, for us, we're, we, we were considering, a, because we were very precise with our, our previews, we were really shooting one for one. There was very little reframing or pushing in or and everything was pretty pure as far as what the framing was out of the camera. Of course with John you're working with the director that hasn't done much visual effects work. Of, of course you know of course uh, yeah, John Favreau <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's a, a, a great uh, visual effects visionary. Yeah. But I presume therefore he would have basically had an edit uh, that he was comfortable with before you even got to final set builds. You know absolutely yeah I mean like I said you know it was it was a very collaborative process, both with, with John, uh, Daniel, Ellebecker, the, the athlete, and also the agency, and, and the client. Everyone was really on board, and a spot like this, you sort of have to be on board. I mean, it, it's, it, you know, um, it, it is still very dangerous, you know, what, it, what he yeah. was doing. So, um, you know, it, it had to be precise, and, and I think that's where it's great bringing in sort of like an A-list director like John, who, who was very, very precise about what he wants as well. I mean, it was incredibly athletic, some of those leaps and stuff. So how many takes could you get? Was it really like we're only gonna get a couple of shots of this or? Um, you know, it was done over a course of a couple of days. Um, you know, 
the thing is that you, Daniel is such a professional. You know, you're working with professionals the way through. You know, professional previous setup, professional uh, uh, production designer, uh, professional stunt coordinators were there to assist, which were great. And now John's personal stunt coordinators that he uses used on Iron Man and you know and uh, most of his movies, uh, Cowboys and Aliens. Um, and, and then you've got uh, professional DP. You know, so you know we tried to keep takes, and John tried to keep takes to a minimum, and. You know, Daniel was one of those guys that when he wasn't getting something, he was just persistent and kept trying and trying. And then, you know, there's also the burnout factor. You know, you've got to give the guy a rest, yeah, absolutely. let him recharge, you know, refuel and then go again. So uh, you had a really good idea of mm -hmm. what the constraints were of him. What yeah. about now if we flip that in terms of the design of the environment he's going into? Was it, was it very well understood before you were shooting what that was going to look like? Probably wouldn't need to be, but, but was it? Oh, absolutely. You know, that was part of the, the concept development phase. You know, we were sort of lucky in that, you know, like the way it operated. We worked with John uh, Favreau in the early pitch days uh, when we're pitching to the agency, the look of the environment. Um, and, you know, that by nature that that had to be taken into account in how we designed the course as well and how the, the, the pillars were going to react and what we were going to do with the pillars and, you know, what was the overall look of the environment. So we had some initial, uh, very tight initial uh, concept development sketches that we did, that we worked with our production, production designer being Yarns and also our concept designers. So when you bring the stuff back here to Miranda, I mean, I'm just wondering how relevant like an HDR is because it would have just got you a, basically a huge green screen set, so. Yeah, I mean, look, you're right. You know, what the HDRI was great for was of positioning of lights. You know, knowing lighting direction and uh, and that and intensity and have the the drop off. You know, as far as you know, uh, sh shading goes. And I mean, that sort of thing is very you know important information for when we are lighting a full CG set. I mean, that's essentially what it was. I mean, it yeah. was really an actor in a green screen set, and the rest was digital. I was wondering if we could talk about like the post pipeline, and I guess the most obvious place to start there would be tracking because you've got somebody that's in the air that has to land on something that is going to be digitally replaced. Mm -hmm. You need to know where they are in the air pretty well. Um, how did you go about doing the tracking on this end, especially on those looking up shots? Did you have stuff in the air or how did it work? Well, the production did a really good job of, of uh, covering virtually everything in green screen. Whether we're shooting straight up into the ceiling, they would fly in a lot of uh, you know, 20 by green screens and things. So before uh, anything was put up, we had a huge amount of tracking markers that were made, Felco tracking markers that were put up. So anytime they would fly green screen up, we would be able to cover that in tracking markers. So we had really good, um, we had really good information on as far as depth from camera, uh, because the the green screens were laid out. You know, there was there was one big psych wall that went around, so we always had that in the background. And then we had stuff that was closer to Daniel, the actor, um, when he was performing. So we were able to extract a lot of really great camera information, no but matter you, how complicated the camera move was. And at some level you'd had to have done a, basically an object track of Daniel. Of Daniel himself, lens. yeah, of Daniel himself, we did, uh, we did a match move for every shot. And that was all done by hand, yeah. Really? And, yeah. and, and so the tracking, you say it was done by hand, but there must have been, you must have used something like PF track or Synthize or something? Yeah, Synthize was done for all of our camera tracking, and then we used Maya to do all of our uh, object tracking of Daniel, the match moving of Daniel. And how did that run? Because it, it is very precise when he's hitting those sort of walls, especially he's doing the side moves and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to know exactly where he is to make that work. Yeah, and contact points were our primary focus. So his, his outfit was fairly loose, his, his uh, pants were baggy, he had a, a tight shirt on, but um, 
a lot of the stuff that we worried about was really just where his hands were and where his feet were. And we ultimately used uh, the looser match moves for things like interactive lighting, things that we wanted to accentuate that were a little hard to do with just Roto. So we would use that, that, um, uh, that match move object to cast light onto and then mix that in with the actual plate in the end. So we used the match move not only for contact points, uh, where his feet landed and where his hands landed, but also for interactive lighting later in the composite. Speaking about that interactive lighting, was the physical stuff on set casting about the kind of right shadows and stuff for what was going to go in later, or was there entire columns that were going to go up beside him that were never there, so you had to kind of worry about shadowing on him that wasn't there on the day? Yeah, the uh, the shadows on him we, we you know worked out fine, but the shadows of him being cast onto the objects were all manufactured by us. Very little of the actual set that he was interacting with was totally accurate to what we ultimately created. Uh, again, contact points are where his feet and hands were, but there were some surfaces that he would interact with that weren't vertical. So it made it a little bit easier for him, whether it was adding a little bit of foam or angling it at 10 degrees so that it made, him, it, made it a little easier for him to get up. Um, our surfaces ended up being totally vertical, so shadows that we could extract from them wouldn't, wouldn't line up with wood. So we what's your creating. pipeline on the 3D? Do you like to basically do a multi-pass out of 3D and then sort of pull it all together as part of the composite? Or do you like to nail it in for the look and stuff? Um, or are you passing tons of layers and passes onto the compositors? We have, there's definitely lots of layers because in a, in a spot like this, we don't necessarily have to worry about matching anything. And so a lot of times what we would do if you were, you know, if you're putting a car in a street and you shot it live action, uh, then you have some very real limitations. And so a lot of times you'd end up wanting to nail it as close as you can in CG and then tweak it in compositing later. Um, in a situation like this where the environment's completely manufactured, we end up providing a lot of stuff to compositing because it's, it, it, we're creating the entire environment. So there's a lot more rendering that's involved. We're rendering everything yeah. for every frame. And so the more time we can um, or if we can maximize the amount of work that can be done in compositing as far as sweetening different levels of diffuse or specular reflection or whatever we want to add into that, uh, we had a lot of incandescence. You know, we had a lot of uh, um, subsurface illumination that was happening within these pillars. And to re-render that just to make little tweaks was, would have been overkill. So. So you, you mentioned some passes there, and I presume, what, ambient occlusion, but you do normal passes and everything else? Yeah, normal through. passes, absolutely. Um, we, we generated, we ended up doing uh, the lighting for, I believe, all but one shot in V-Ray and Maya, yep. but we lit one shot in Houdini's Mantra PBR, physically right. based render. And that was purely just because the amount of geometry in the floor in, in, a, in an overhead shot that we had where you just, you can hide nothing. We, uh, we just had too much geometry. It just took too long just to even export. See, I'd have thought you'd have gone to Mantra for other projects where there was more like, you know, uh, effects animation type stuff. I, I wouldn't have thought you needed to go to Mantra for, for that, but that just rendered better, didn't it? Yeah, it, it wasn't because PBR uh, gave us anything that V-Ray couldn't or vice versa. What it really came down to was just literally converting that much geometry to a V-Ray proxy to be right. lit. Uh, every time we make an animation change, the turnaround was just too long. And in in a feature in a feature schedule, you might be able to uh, account for that. But in a commercial schedule, there's just not that much time. And so you really just have to think about, oh, we just want to make this one little animation tweak. And then it would take hours and hours and hours just to convert it before we could even start lighting it in Maya. So we, we, just, doing, we just kept that one in Mantra. Were you yeah. doing like Fennel passes? Because they seem to be sort of like the angles of the surfaces and stuff would affect the uh, reflectivity. Absolutely. Uh, 
Fresnel was calculated in our reflections, but in addition we pass out things like that so that we can adjust it further in comp. Uh, one of the things that was a challenge for us was it's a lot of repetitive geometry. Every pillar is virtually identical from a geometric standpoint. But what we do is we add a lot of scratches and dings and dents and things like that that, that make them unique, uh, both textural and, uh, and obviously affecting the normals at the end. Um, to give it a little bit of bump. And but like even micro bevels and stuff to kind of ping it and stuff because there seemed to be like some nice kind of highlighty stuff going on. Yeah, exactly. And we had to exaggerate that. So some of the geometry from shot to shot was actually different so that from a wider shot, we would be able to expose that bevel a little bit more and get that highlight that normally you wouldn't see if we, if we used, you know, let's say the, the geometry from a tight shot. So we did actually have geometry that was specific to some shots. So what, what is the, the, those passes going into? Are you doing like a pre-comp in Nuke or is it straight to flame or what was the pipe? So all of the final compositing was done in Nuke and then we did the finishing of the entire spot in flame. So I guess the agency needs some credit here because it seems like you actually had a sensible kind of schedule. It wasn't a case where you were just being crunched, which, you know, I mean, did it feel like a sensible kind of schedule? Yeah, it definitely did. We had the opportunity to, to play around at the beginning a lot, but I think production probably had the shortest part of the schedule because they only had about three to four weeks from when the job awarded to uh, do initial concept and prepare for the shoot and shoot it. So we were definitely given the, the meatier part of the, of the schedule. So like how long did you then have after that? Uh, we had about uh, three months from when it was shot, um, but actual once things got approved and concept was approved and everything, we started doing final shots, we had about eight weeks. Give us some of the background of the company and in particular sort of, you know, how it came to be. And well, uh, Murata was launched in uh, December 2010. Uh, so we're a little over uh, a year old. Um, it has four partners. Uh, the two the four partners, the main founder being Guillermo del Toro, uh, Matthew Cullen, another director, um, Guillermo Navarro, sort of Academy Award winning cinematographer, and Javier Menez who's EP, uh, CEO of the company. The lineage is a fantastic lineage for sure. The motion theory work was outstanding, but the part of Murata was being more than just what motion theory was, uh, and it is. Uh, simply in the, the type of work we do, the, the directors we've brought on. The company philosophy and manifesto is, you know, you know we are a, we're a studio of storytellers, you know, and stories are told in a multitude of different ways. And yes, the advantage of, of what we do have here is we have this very collaborative uh, campus, I guess, uh, floor, uh, where we have designers, concept uh, artists, art directors, creative directors, visual effects supervisors, CG supervisors, you know, all under one roof. You know, we're all How big together. is it now, like in terms of, like just today, how, so uh, roughly how many you know, people have you got? Um, I th on the floor today, we've probably got about 130 people okay. total at the studio. Um, we can swell so much bigger than that, of course. What about um, DI and finishing? Because you've obviously got cameras and, and the rest of the pipe. Do you finish here as well? We do finish, but not, you know, D, uh, a full, full DI suite is, is in our, in, in, you know, in our sites. Um, it, I, um, this was the only suite when we were walking around that I was waiting for you to say, and here's the, uh, the grading suite, because you seem to have a really comprehensive No, package. we have a theatre. We have a yeah. screening room theatre. Um, to say that we've got a, an in-house, you know, uh, A-level uh, colorist here, we, we don't have as yet, but you know that is part of what we want to be as a company to be able to do DI. So how did you finish this spot? Like, what, where was the DI done for that, or was it finished here in, in Flame? It was finished in Flame. Uh, we of course we've got you know luster on Flame as well. Um, uh, you know, 
traditional sort of commercial sort of pipeline, um, you know, graded plates, uh, set look with director, DP, um, work within those constraints, and then final look and, and colour all done in flame. I, I think that, uh, you know, looking forward, you know, it's exciting, you know, like we're not restraining ourselves to just working in commercials, we're working in film, you know, we're working on a, a, on a film with Alcom, we're working on film, of course, with Guillermo del Toro, there's other things in the pipeline. So, you know, we're excited about what the future holds for Murata and also for LA. Thanks for that, Mike. And don't forget, you can see more studio profiles and follow all the behind the scenes of FXPHD at the production blog over at fxphd.com. Next week on the show, we visit the world of John Carter with CineSight London. So until then, see ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.